Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone uh, to worship this morning. Those of you that are here in person worshiping with us and those at home that are worshiping, we're glad that you're here with us. Hopefully you've had a chance to look through the bulletin. You've seen we have a few things uh, on the upcoming calendar. I want to direct your attention uh, towards the back of the bulletin. On October 31st, it's going to be a decent uh, decent day here at the church. We're going to have a celebration of Reformation Sunday, and so that's going to be uh, something where you can participate in worship by wearing something red in honor of the Reformation. Uh, also, after uh, worship that day, we're going to have our brunch. So it's the fifth Sunday, and we're going to stay afterwards and have a little brunch. So if you would like to participate in that, you can talk to Laurie Turley about that, uh, or Kathleen Jordan. Let them know if you'd like to help uh, prepare something for that day. We do have two um, minute for missions this morning, and so I'd like to invite Debbie Duvall to come up and talk to us a little bit about her mission. Um, a lot of you have heard this mission before. Uh, we are, our family has done Team Duval for the Alzheimer's Walk for maybe like 13 years now. Lindsay was the one that started it. She started it in honor of her grandmother, my mother, and her great-grandmother who had passed, uh, Michael's grandmother. And our dog, because dogs can get that too. They go outside and they really don't know why they're out there. But we have walked every year and with the support of our church family and other family members and outside groups, we've done pretty well for a small group. If anybody would like to walk with us, just let us know and Lindsay can share with you how to sign up and walk. But it's a really important cause and I'm sure everybody can think, wouldn't have to think very hard to know someone who has suffered from this horrible disease. Because it takes, you know, it takes your mind first, but later it takes control over your body and, and you're just wasting, wasting away. And it's really, really sad. So I ask for your support again of our cause. We're gonna put a little donation thing out in the, the fellowship hall for Sundays after church and on Wednesday night. And we brought some information today to share with you get you a little more up to speed about Alzheimer's and what you can do to help and just praying. I mean, praying is wonderful and it will certainly help the cause. There have been great advancements. And one thing you need to realize, anything that helps one cause can help others as well. So research for Alzheimer's may help other brain disorders. So it's something to keep in mind there. And that's it. We brought some refreshments, so join us after church. And since we're a little sparse this morning, there's a lot. So <laughs> thank you. And now we're going to hear from Donna uh, for something that she and uh, her committee have talked about. It's something that's also in the bulletin as well. Uh, we're going to be collecting some stuff for the next couple weeks. Uh, so Donna's going to tell you about something we're doing here at the church. You know, this COVID-19 pandemic has been extremely hard on all of us, and we would like to support the healthcare workers at Thomas Memorial Hospital who are working uh, with the battle against the COVID-19. We would like to give each of them a fuel for the fight bag to say thank you for your tireless work. We are in this with you, and you have not been forgotten about. 
Kathy Weed works at Thomas More Hospital, and she suggested helping the critical staff first, the ER employees, uh, the ICU employees, and the respiratory therapist. But there are 80 employees in the ER, there are 60 in the ICU, and 30 respiratory therapists. So that totals 170. We need to prepare 170 bikes. The sooner we can assemble the goodie bags, the better, Kathy said. But we need your help to fill these bikes. It will cost at least $10, maybe $15, to fill one of these bags. And we hope to purchase these items with your monetary donations. Some of the things are powdered drink mixes, energy bars, chips, cookies, candies, nuts, crackers, chewing gum, foot cream, and hand cream, and chapstick. We plan to fill each bag with the same items. If you have other suggestions, just let us know. Um, Jennifer and I met with the assistant manager at Kroger's this week, and she's already started ordering things for us. Individual wrapped baked goods have been suggested too. We are asking you to fill out a note card with your prayer or words of encouragement. Before you do, take a few minutes and pray and ask God, how can you encourage that healthcare worker? What prayer do you have to share? Or what are your words that could bring hope, peace, and healing? Because they've suffered through the crisis as well. They have suffered along with those infected, and they've been with the families of the victims and the survivors of this virus too. So please leave your note card and the fuel for the fight bag on the table in the fellowship hall. If you need more time, maybe you can take your card home, but bring it back this Wednesday or Sunday if you can. Our plan and our hope is to deliver these bags before the Thanksgiving holiday. Again, to say thank you for putting your lives on the line each day to keep us safe. And we do understand it's been a long fight for you, but we hope this small gift will give you more fuel to get across that finish line. If you have any questions, come on back to the fellowship hall and uh, see, see us after worship. Thank you. It's also a good time to remind you that if you haven't already signed up with your Kroger card um, to help have the money come back to First Presbyterian Church of St. Albans, it's a good time to do that. So we have been blessed by those of you that regularly shop at Kroger. We have almost $2,000 in um, rewards money that has come to us. And so that's, that's kind of going to help kickstart this uh, session was very much in favor of, of helping this. Uh, it's just a short little drive down the road, and I think it's going to be a great gift uh, to those critical workers. So I think it's going to be a wonderful way for us to get our name out there, but also for us to let them know we love Christ and we know that you need support like this. So, okay, let's prepare our hearts to worship the living God.
please join me in the call to worship. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around him. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Come, let us worship the triune God. Please stand if you are able and meditate on the words of our first gathering song, the Church of Christ in Every Age. join together in the passing of the peace. May the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And also, and also with, with you. you. Please join me in the call to confession. We believe in God alone. We call upon God and we do so through Christ. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human. Therefore, let us bring our confessions to the mediator. We pray for forgiveness this day, for choosing power over service, forgive us. 
for seeking glory rather than humility, forgive us. For pushing ourselves to the front when our presence is needed on the sidelines, forgive us. Help us know where we are needed and how best to serve you and your people. Guide us to your side that we might be your hands of healing and compassion for a world in need. In Christ's name we pray. And now a moment of silent confession. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn us? Only Christ. Yet we know that Christ came for us. He lived with us. He died for us. He rose again to a new life and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Where the Apostle Paul tells us that he prays for us. We know that in Christ's coming, God was reconciling the world to himself, that our old life is gone and a new life remains. So know that you have been forgiven and be at peace and pray also for me, a sinner. Amen. May be seated. Our first reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 4 through 12. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken and struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before his shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring, offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out himself to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
may be seated. At this time, I invite the children to come forward for a children's sermon. Good morning, young lady. So I have a question for you, which I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask it nonetheless. Do you have a best friend? So what do you do with your best friend? Have sleepovers, watch movies, hang out with each other. So when you and your best friend are together, do you like to sit next to each other or do you like to sit as far apart as possible next to each other? Well, the story that I'm getting ready to read is a story where two people kind of assumed that they were Jesus' best friend. And so they said, we need you to do whatever we ask you to do. And Jesus said, that's kind of a tall task for me to do whatever you want. But sometimes best friends are like that, right? They say, hey, you got to do it my way. And so Jesus said, okay, what is it that you want me to do? And they said, when you come into your glory, we want to be able to sit at your left-hand side and your right-hand side. And basically what they were saying was, we want to sit closest to you when you become the king. And Jesus said, that's all well and good. If you want to do that, that's fine. But you have to be willing to sacrifice your life the way that I'm going to sacrifice mine. You have to live your life in such a way that it's not about you. It's about how you serve and treat other people. And of course, James and John, that's their names. They said, of course we can do that, Jesus. We're, we're really good at stuff like that. And then the other friends, like that were kind of, they're called the disciples. They were, they were hanging around and they heard this conversation happening. You know, some of them like Thomas or Matthew or Barnabas, they're like, hey, ho, hold on. We're friends with Jesus too. Like we want to be able to sit close to Jesus. And so kind of the moral of the story is that when we have our best friends in life, sometimes we really just want to be with them. But what Jesus teaches us is that none of us can be Jesus' best friend, but Jesus came to be best friends with the whole world. And so we're supposed to share everything that we know about Jesus with everyone else. It's not just ours to keep and hold for ourselves. It's, it's that Jesus wants us to share that we're that we love him and that he loves us with the whole world. So even though you like to hang out with Madison all the time, and that's a great thing, right? Part of what Jesus would say is we want to share Jesus. So you need to share Madison with everybody else too. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, you rock and we love you. And we're so glad you came to earth to be our BFF. Thank you so much for loving us. Help us. Share your love with the world. We love you. Amen. Sometimes I still try to take control Cause I get scared when I can't see the end And all you want from me is to let go Your parting waters making a way for me 
You're moving mountains that I don't even see. You've answered my prayer before I even speak. All you need for me to be is still. I bring my praise before I bring my need. Cause there's no fear you've not already seen. I rest my heart on all your promises. Seen and know your faithfulness. You're moving waters, making a way for me. You're moving mountains that I don't even see. You've answered my prayer before I even speak. All you need from me to be is still. invite you to follow along either in the bulletin or with your Bible for the gospel reading today. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Hear God's holy word. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to Jesus, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they replied, We are able. And then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. 
So Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for your text and your story. We thank you, Lord, for the way your spirit intersects with us in the form of these stories. And God, we ask now for an understanding and application to make sense of this story this day. All this we ask in the name of your Son. Amen. There is a a great story, anecdotally perhaps, of being granted three wishes, three requests. Uh, It was a childhood favorite of mine to say, what would you do if you were given three wishes? And I think every child into their adolescence before uh, going too too much further down the road of what all they want in life, the very first thing that you would ask for would be what? Come on, this is easy. More wishes, right? With wish one, you ask for more wishes. Duh. You got to figure it out. That's the way you do it. I want more wishes. That's what, that's how you make this world go around. It's not just three things. We're going to go, we're going to go big. And then, of course, you can narrow that question down and you could say, if you're only given one wish and you can't ask for more wishes, what would you ask for? Biblically, we know that Solomon wisely asked for wisdom and then God granted him so much more. But what would you ask for? What do you think you deserve? It's the same kind of fantasy question in my estimation, yet we all have something, or rather maybe a list of things that we deserve. If you're given you know, one wish, you could wish for a billion dollars. You could cover all of the other wishes that you have in this life, right? You could finally afford to pay for everything that you would want until the day that you run out of money, and then you're like, how do I pay for all of the stuff that I've gathered now? It's ambition, to try to gather things and to collect things. And I think we as Americans rarely lack ambitious motivations. Maybe it comes from being told early on that we can be whatever we want to be if we work hard enough. When we work hard, we have a theory that we're rewarded for that work. And we have something to show for that. That's the American way. Right? That's what we're told. It's, it's part of our ethos. It's handed to us literally from our Protestant forebearers. And it's a concept in theology, believe it or not. It's a concept in theology and sociology, economics and history, and it emphasizes hard work, frugality and prosperity as a display of a person's salvation in Christian faith. The phrase was initially coined in 1904 by Max Weber in his book, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. Martin Luther, whom we will celebrate in just a few short weeks, reconceptualized this whole idea that work is a duty. It benefits the individual, 
and it benefits society as a whole. And so this was one of the major splits in the Reformation uh, when Martin Luther did this work. It became a notion then that Catholicism has an idea of good works, which then transforms you into an obligation as a sign of grace. So you do the works so that you get grace. That's what Catholicism would tell us. We know as Protestants that we don't think that way. We're kind of anti the book of James, at least chapter 3 of the book of James. It's not good works that save us. It's grace that saves us. But the grace that we receive then entitles us to do the works that God prepared in advance for us to do. So we go Ephesians 3 instead of James 3. We don't think that salvation is a future event. That's why our Catholic sisters and brothers believe that salvation comes later. Reformers taught that salvation is at hand. And so works are a good consequence of the salvation we've already received. So it's not about wishing that we get something in the future. It's knowing that we have received something and then trying to figure out how to do this work. But then that begs the question, how much work is enough work for us to understand that our salvation is complete? Our story today shows that James and John are ambitious, and I don't think ambition is wrong. It makes a worker work harder to get promoted, an ambitious salesperson pushes to make more sales, an ambitious student studies longer to get better grades, an ambitious athlete goes through grueling training in order to claim the prize. Ambition can be like a fuel for your heart. And I think it's ambition that drives James and John to request something of Jesus that they think they already deserve. It's interesting to see that there's a gap between last week's text and this week's text where Jesus talks about his, it's the third time that he does this in Mark's gospel, he talks about his forthcoming death, about being spit upon, about being mocked and flogged and beaten, and then the next thing that we say is, hey, um, Jesus, we, we, the sons of thunder, James and John, uh, we'd like you to do whatever it is we ask of you. Now, if you're a parent and your child comes to you and says, we need you to do whatever it is we ask you to do, what, how do you respond to that? <laughs> do you laugh? Because I would, right? That's not really something you do, even as a friend. Like, that sounds like something that Billy the Kid would say to his friends, right? I need you to say whatever it is I tell you to say, right? You got to cover up for something. I think these two are advantageous, but they're clueless. They have no idea what it is they're asking Jesus to do. Give us whatever we ask. And ironically, I think, or shockingly more than ironically, Jesus didn't say no, did he? Jesus didn't say immediately no. He says, what is it that you want me to do? We want to sit at either side of you in glory. And Jesus, I think being Jesus, he already knew what they were going to ask. And so he very quickly comes up and says, can you drink the cup that I'm prepared to drink? Can you be baptized in the baptism with which I'll be baptized? And that's a loaded statement. So he's looking forward to the cup of salvation at the Last Supper. And Jesus is also looking backward to the baptism 
when his cousin John baptized him in the Jordan. And really, baptism and the cup are bookends of our life, right? We are brought into this family through the waters of baptism. We're sustained by the cup of salvation. And then when we die, when we have our memorial uh, service or whatever it is we have at the end of our life, we, whether we say these words or not, we believe that our baptism is made complete in death. Baptism brings us in. Our life is then sustained by a cup. And then the finality of life is that our baptism is made complete as we enter glory. So what begins with water and ends with wine is something that all of us experience. But I hope and I pray that none of us have to live a life the way that Jesus' life began with baptism and ended with the cup of of suffering. And they say, of course we can do that. We can live your baptism. We can live your, we can drink the cup. But they can't. And so we have here two selfish people that want to be lifted up to sit at Jesus' left and his right. The picture of the crucified Christ in total glory, total glory of his baptism, drinking this cup. And the disciples say, we need to be seen beside you. This is the work we've done. This is the reward that I need. Those seats, then, Jesus says, are not his to give. Those seats have been prepared for people long before my existence on this earth, long before I was born of Mary. I don't get to pick who sits at my right or my left. And so suddenly the the other ten disciples, they get very mad. You can almost imagine how this transpired. Peter, <laughs> Peter is probably the, the, the ringleader in stirring up the other nine, right? After all, Peter was with James and John when they were taken up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. If anybody should be in this consideration of who gets to be at the right or left of Jesus, Peter surely needs to be there because Jesus, after all, said, I'm going to change your name from Simon to Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. The other ten react with indignance. Were they generally upset because James and John were misconstruing the mission? Or do you think they were upset because they didn't think of asking the same question first? I think our challenge is that somehow we're stuck in the middle. We're either a James and a John, we're really ambitious and we're trying to get our salvation worked out. Or we're one of the ten who maybe stand back meekly doing the work of the Lord, hoping upon hope that somehow it's enough work. James and John are the direct type, telling God straight up, here is what I want you to do for me. The deadline is yesterday. This is kind of like Martin Luther saying, sin boldly. Trust that Christ will be stronger than your sin. Or do we go for the indirect route? Outdo others in our religious service. Make greater sacrifices. Act more obediently. Secretly, deep down, again, I think we're all just hoping like crazy that God notices and that one day, just kind of like what Disney does, our dreams can come true. So whatever category we find ourselves in, I think we need to admit it probably has something to do with our ambition or our idea of deserving something in the future. 
I think one of the challenges for Christianity is that, at least in the last several hundred years, we're so heavenly focused, we're so, we're so mindful of what's going to happen when we die that we fail to recognize the gift that life actually is. Christ said multiple times, the kingdom of God is now, or the kingdom of God has come, And so what would it be like for us to recognize that life on this earth is part of kingdom life? It's a great thing to think that once that hymn comes true and I'll fly away, right? That's great. That's an awesome thing. But with any of our deaths, there's going to be great sadness left behind on earth. That's part of mourning and grieving. When someone passes, we, we just can't escape this notion that we miss them. And so, in a weird way, as Christians, we kind of calm ourselves down and we say things like, I know we'll see this person. It starts with A and ends with Gin. Again, right? We'll, we'll see this person again, and so that's sometimes what's allowing us to chill out. Because we're so focused on this reward that we get in heaven. And I think it's almost mathematical for us. A plus B equals C. We live this Christian life, we die, and then we get a reward in heaven. And so if, if I live on that promise, then I know that one day Jamie and I will be reunited in heaven uh, when that time comes, right? I'll, I'll get to see Jamie again. My kids will get to see me again when I die. And if we're good enough Christians... We will have all earned the same thing. And I'm not convinced that that's what Jesus talks about in his glory. I do look forward to heaven because I think heaven is going to be a restful time where I no longer am thinking about the future. I'm thinking about being in the presence of God, the presence of God. Just let that sit on you for a while. To be in the presence of God. Our theology has created for us too many loopholes of if-then statements. If I serve the church now, then I'll get to take a break in the future. Or if I do this, then I won't have to do that. If I say yes to being a Sunday school teacher, then maybe I won't have to be on session. Or if I say I'm going to be on session, then maybe I won't have to be a Sunday school teacher. We put all kinds of things like that before us. And we say it because we're trying to be servants, I think, and I think we do these things great. And narrow-mindedly, it even comes down to the way that we likely pray. See, the way... I'm going to, this is Mark admitting things to you today, right? When I pray, I say, Lord, here's the list of things that I need in this life. I need healthy children. I need a stable home. I'd love to have a growing church, a sustainable income. I'd like to take an early retirement, Lord. The Steelers to win every Super Bowl, the Yankees to win every World Series, and the Penguins to win every Stanley Cup. Lord, may your will be so. And I'll do these things for you, Lord. I will serve the church. I 
will study your word. I will do all these things. I'll be a good neighbor. I'll pick up my dog's mess. I won't let it stay in my neighbor's yard. I'll be someone who is great, Lord, if you'll just do these things for me. And in so doing, and in so saying, and in so thinking and believing, I am no different than James or John. And that's consumerism Christianity. What can I get out of this? Maybe it isn't worldly, but I still think it's a salvation thing. But whatever it is, I think I'm wrong. And I think Jesus spells that out pretty clearly for us today. My estimation, folks, is the way that Christ is calling us to be His servant, His disciple, is instead of making a list and handing it to Jesus to sign, instead He's saying, sign your name and then hand me the paper and I will create for you the list. And then you will share my baptism and my cup. And I think that's really what our text that Donna read this morning is really about. Think about all the transgressions that He bore. He became sin for us. The beating that was promised so long ago, Jesus took as a servant for us. He came to serve us, not to be served. And so somehow, friends, we're stuck in the middle, wanting heaven, wanting life, wanting to be the best Christian that we can be, pulled hither and yon. Friends, I think we're called to serve sacrificially. And I think if we actually serve sacrificially, the world notices it, and God is then glorified. We're stuck together. We're stuck in this place where we're not yet in heaven. There's still something to do on earth. Do this with me. Breathe in. Breathe out. If you were able to do that, Jesus has something for you to do in this life, just for the record. Jesus needs you to say yes to something. Because as long as we draw breath on this earth, we are here to serve, not to be served. So let's together this day sign our names to a checklist and say, Lord, fill it in. Give me your glory. Let's do this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now let us stand and declare that which we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. may be seated. This time it's a way for us to continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings and gifts.
us pray. Holy God, we are thankful for the gifts and blessings that you have given to us in this life. We thank you also, Lord, that you have provided an opportunity for us to serve your kingdom by returning a portion of these gifts to you. God, we ask that you would bless these gifts so that we may bless the world around us. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to return to you. Thank you, God, for your gift to us, and thank you, Lord, for this day. We ask these things in the name of your Son. Amen. You may be seated. As we enter into our time of prayer this day, I have a few things to share with you. Uh, sadly, I'm sure some of you have seen the news that uh, missionaries were kidnapped in Haiti, so uh, that's a very tough thing to have heard that's going on there, so we should be in prayer for them. Also, uh, Carol Buck um, received some uh, some startling news this week. Her kidney doctor told her to get things in order uh, because there's not much else that can be done. And so a uh, surgeon is still trying to work with her for dialysis, but we should keep Terry and uh, Carol in our prayers. And last week, Kim Gaines actually um, requested this prayer, and I missed it in the offering, so I apologize. But her cousin's daughter was in a bad car wreck on October 1st and is right now paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, so we should keep Kim and her family in our prayers as well. I'm certain that there are other concerns that rest amongst us. So let's bring those petitions to our Lord and to our King and let us pray together. Holy God, we thank you for this day that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, for the glory of this beautiful fall day. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to witness your creation, the creation that you looked at and said, this is very good. We thank you, God, that we get to be a part of creation we are in awe, Lord, of your creation of the cosmos. And we thank you, God, for the gift that each day is for us as we draw breath on this earth. We thank you, God, also that you have prepared for us to be sharers of this cosmos and sharers also, Lord, in this ministry. Grant us, Lord, an understanding of the ways in which we can be servants in this cosmos servants in your dear name, as a witness to your love and sacrificial life. Give us the strength and courage, Lord, to go into the world and see it as very good, see it as something to behold, and see it as something, Lord, that we can serve. We're mindful this day, Lord, of the missionaries who heard that call to go to a, an impoverished country. Lord, we know that they may be praying prayers filled with fear. We ask God for their protection. We pray, Lord, for those who have done the kidnapping as well. Lord, we ask that you would burden them to recognize the error of their ways. We pray, God, for a safe return for all of the missionaries. We pray for their families who are concerned about their well-being. We pray for the country of Haiti. have been impoverished for so many years under the cruel hand of rebellious leadership. We pray, God, for their safety, their safe return. We pray for all Haitians. God, we're mindful of our friend Carol. We pray, Lord, for miracles. We're thankful, Lord, for the life that she and Terry have. And we pray, God, for an easing of her pain and her anguish. Give her a sense of your comfort. And heal her, Lord. 
We pray, God, for Kim and for her family, the love that she has for her cousin and her cousin's daughter. We pray, Lord, for a healing in that situation as well. We're thankful, God, that she was able to live through the car accident. We pray now for continued healing. We pray, Lord, for all who suffer for disease, especially right now, Lord, this global pandemic. Be with those who have lost loved ones. Give us a sense of your peace, Lord, that we may comfort those who are mourning. We pray, God, for our healers, those who have been called to the ministry of healing. We're thankful, Lord, for the knowledge that you have imparted to them. Give them strength, Lord, as they are weary. Give them rest when they have the time. We're thankful, Lord, that we live in a country where we have the freedom to gather for worship. We thank you, Lord, for the men and women who have historically fought to keep our country free. And God, while we do pray for our men and women in the military, we also know that you call us to pray also for our enemies. We pray for them, Lord. We pray for a day where peace will be the order of the day. We pray, God, for leaders of warring nations that they would seek for peace. We pray, God, this day for those who have no employment. We pray, God, for those who are not experiencing a peace of life. The challenges of homelessness, of drug addiction. We pray, God, for you to ease their suffering. And again, Lord, open our eyes that we may see. We pray for our president, for the leaders of our nation. We pray for our state and local leaders, whoever govern over us, God. Be patient with them as they listen to your still, small voice. And be patient with us, Lord, as we may express our frustrations with leadership. But give us, Lord, a sense of hope for a peaceful day to come. We pray, Lord, for this, our church. We pray for this place that we call our church home, for the blessing it is for our lives, and a way, Lord, that it blesses us to go into this world. Be with each of us this week as we attempt to bless the lives of another. Because of the love of your dear name, because of the grace that you've extended to us, allow us, Lord, to be people who continue that extension of grace to others. We're thankful, God, that you taught us to do this. We're also thankful that you taught us how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand as you are able for our closing hymn, Hear the Good News of Salvation.
It's interesting, I think, today to uh, have preached this sermon to use this text because uh, today is the 11th anniversary of me entering ordered ministry. So uh, on this day in 2010, I got to finally say yes to God's call uh, to be a minister of Warden Sacrament in PCUSA. It was a long and windy road in many ways, um, but I'm glad that I did it most days. There are, there are days where sometimes that's a challenge, but for the most part, I'm, I'm glad that God called me to this. And I'm glad that God called me to be in this place. Uh, Jamie and I said years ago, we will never go back to West Virginia uh, once we left. And the Lord said, want to bet? Uh, and so we're glad that we're here. We're glad that God has called us to be in this together. And I think it's something for us to be reminded of. It's, uh, it's the season of stewardship. And one of the things that we need to pay closest attention to, I think, when I say the word stewardship, most of us always think money. But what Christ really calls for us is a stewardship of time. The, the time and the talents that God has given to us. I could very easily have said, you know, I'm not called to ministry. I want to become a professor. I'm a dork enough that I could have probably pulled that one off. But God said, that's not... That's not it, Mark. I need you. I need you somewhere else. And so I, I got to the place where that became my yes. And that yes is not a completed yes. That yes is something that I will continue saying yes to for years to come. In fact, those of you that know my story know that I ran from the ministry both before I was ordained and after I was ordained. I tried to get out of it and the Lord kept calling me back. And so I'm thankful he did because I get to be here with you. You can try to run away from the Lord, but the Lord is so quick and so fast he will chase you. So please consider the ways that you can continue serving this place, your church, this cosmos that God has placed us in. And let us be in ministry together. Amen. Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May it be with us all until we meet again, either here or his glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday.